Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. It's a wonderful time to be in the presence of God. He is always good. Amen. It's a privilege for me to stand with you tonight and and share with you uh, God's Word. Um, We've been going through a series um, about battle, breakthrough, and blessings. The past two weeks, including this morning, we've been talking about battle. Unfortunately, we'll be talking about battle again tonight. Don't worry, at some point we'll have a breakthrough and have the blessing soon. So that will come. But I think we need to have the right attitude wherein for us to be in a position to receive God's blessing. Nothing happens easily when you really want something that is very precious. But God has in store for us something wonderful. Sometimes we need to stand up and say, I am a child of God. I will follow Jesus Christ. That in turn causes attention from the darkness, kingdom of darkness. And that leads to the battles. And I think we need to really put our minds towards understanding what that means. So that when the breakthrough comes, we will recognize what made it happen. It is through Jesus Christ at work in our lives that we have all these blessings. I'll try to pick up on what Pastor Greg mentioned this morning and um, add on some stuff that I believe God wants us to know about. Um, I don't know about you, when we talk about battles, I always look back at some great biblical battles. And first thing that comes to mind will be Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. A lot of songs made on, on that part. But also remember battles wherein um, they didn't do well, the Battle of AI. So just bear in mind, not all our battles lead to very nice victories. Depends really on where we are at in our relationship with God. And all throughout the Bible, we can see that. Tonight, I'll be focusing on a battle, more like a personal battle, um, regarding a a follower of God, a a son of God. Um, I don't know whether you know this guy, King David. So we'll talk about his life and what battle he had to go through for him to be the person God wanted him to be. But before we go to that, let me just ask you, um, has anyone here gone through tremendous challenges and conflicts and have to deal with them probably on your own. Hopefully at some point you have people joining you to deal with those things. I'm pretty sure that's what, that wasn't a very pleasant thing to go through. Not everyone would like to have any conflict in their lives. Is that right? Pastor Greg mentioned last week that no one likes conflict. But we have to bear in mind, if you are a follower of God, you are a warrior in God's kingdom. And if you're a warrior, you must be ready to go to war. We war against not flesh and blood, the Bible says, so look around you. You're not against those people that you see. We war against principalities, rulers in darkness. This is the battle that we fight, a spiritual battle. Let me read to you a poem just to highlight some stuff. This is a poem by a guy called Horatio de la Costa. I think he's a Catholic uh, priest. It was a poem that I, I came across when I was a young lad. We had to learn this because it's part of our, our, our requirements for our English class. Let me read to you what it is all about. It's called The Two Standards. 
says here, life is a warfare. I'll try to be theatrical with this, but we'll see. Life is a warfare, a warfare between two standards. The standard of Christ and the standard of Satan. It is a warfare older than the world. For it began with the revolt of the angels. We talked about that this morning. It is a warfare wide as the world. It rages in every nation, every city, in the heart of every man. Satan desires all men to come under his standard. And to this end, lures them with riches, honors, power, all that ministers to the lust and pride of man. Again, we talked about that, lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Christ, on the contrary, invites all to fight under his standard. But he offers no worldly allurement, only himself. I think that's a good deal. Only Jesus, only the Son of Man, born an outcast, raised in poverty, rejected as a teacher, betrayed by his friend, crucified as a criminal. And therefore his followers shall not be confounded forever. They are certain of ultimate victory. Against them, the gates of hell cannot prevail. Can I hear an amen? The powers of darkness shall splinter before their splendid battalions, battle-scarred but resplendent. They shall enter into glory with Christ, their king. Two armies, two standards, two generals. And to every man there comes the imperious cry of command. Choose Christ or Satan. Choose sanctity or sin. Choose heaven or hell. And the choice he makes is summed up the life of every man. Now you may argue that's not from the Bible, but I think it encapsulates a lot of things we need to learn about when it comes to the choices we make. We are called to be warriors in the kingdom of God. And the choices we make will have an implication on how we fare against the evil one in these battles. We need to choose well. We need to be mindful of the choices we make. The things that we do will have an impact in our walk with God. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that as we study the life of David, we will see ourselves and see the principles of your word so that we may be guided and be equipped to do battle that will give glory to your name. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We see here the story of David and how he overcame Goliath. We like the story so much that we would like, I don't know about you, I'd like to be like David. I'd like to be able to do what David did. Even as a young man, I believe he was just a teenager. So all teenagers, raise your hands. Okay. Join me in raising my hand. Okay. Teenagers. Can be like David. Now don't feel bad if you're not a teenager. Because you can do what David did as well. You might say, well I'm not David. Yes, true. But you're not Jesus as well. And yet God and his word tells us to be like Jesus. So we can do what these people in the Bible have done. 
Just like what Jesus did, we can do that as well. We must learn through their lives and do what they did in honoring God. Just to give you a backdrop of the story, David was um, anointed the next king of Israel. At a young age, he was anointed king of Israel. And, and there's a lot of drama before it happened. I, mean, I don't know if you like drama in your life, but he was the least in the household. In fact, when, when Samuel came to anoint the next king in the household of Jesse, he was still outside sending to the sheep. I mean, the, the instruction was, Samuel instructed Jesse, the father of David, to call all his children. I don't know what the dynamics was in his time, but the family wasn't really looking up to David because he was left out in the, in the field. And yet, at the end of it all, after all the drama, he was anointed king. But that's the backdrop of this story in chapter 17. What happened was the Philistine army, the enemies of Israel, came to go to battle. So they were lined up, one army on one side, one side of the mountain, the other army, the Israelite army, on the other side, on another mountain, and between them a valley. The Bible says, chapter 17, read through the story. We don't have the time to go through the details. But with the Philistine army was this great warrior, a big man, Goliath. I don't know the, the actual height of the man. He was told to be about seven foot to nine foot high. Now, he's not like a flimsy lad, like Peter Crouch. <laughs> so he was not like that at all. He was really tall and he was bulky. So imagine seven foot rugby player. Some people argue he's actually nine foot. Now imagine that guy with armor and a javelin Javelins are supposed to be taller than the guy, okay? So his javelin might be about 10 foot high. And his shield should cover his body, so he's massive shield. There's a shield bearer, somebody has to carry his shield. It was big. And he was mocking the Israelite army. If I beat your champion, because he was the champion of the Philistines, you will be our slaves. If you beat us, we will be your slaves, easy. 40 days he mocked the army, of Israel. He mocked the army of God 40 days. The Bible says, and let me read, the Philistines stood on one mountain, chapter 17, verse 3. Um, where's that part? Um, Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Nobody who goes to battle is not afraid. Every soldier knows in his mind that there's a possibility of getting killed in battle, being a casualty of war. But if you're facing a giant like that, one-to-one -one combat is a very daunting prospect. Not even Saul, who was head over, head and shoulders above all the rest of the army, dared to fight this champion of the Philistine army. So that's the backdrop of the story. So that's just an introduction. We look into 
what happened to David. Jesse told him to go over, bring some food for his brothers. Three of his brothers were in the army. And we read from verse 28 what happened. Okay. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. David was asking, who is this man mocking the army of Israel? And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? Hopefully they will come up in the screen. Why have come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? So he was accusing David of not doing his job. Earlier this morning, Pastor Greg mentioned that one of the tools that the enemy has against us is accusations. Where did you leave the sheep? Why are you here? People will always question the good things you do for many reasons. In his case, Eliab was probably jealous of David. He knew he was there when David was anointed king. He was the eldest. He should be the one anointed by Samuel. And yet, God said, he looks into the heart. Eliab was not the one that God appointed. So probably out of jealousy, out of anger, out of disappointment probably, or shame. He should be the one fighting Goliath. He was a soldier in the army, and yet he didn't find any strength or courage to fight this man mocking the army of God. So he just vented his frustrations, his jealousy, his anger towards David. Now, if you were a child of God and you were doing God's work, and somebody approaches you, why are you here? Don't be disappointed. In this world, there are many troubles, the Bible says. Take heart, Jesus says. I've overcome the world. It is frustrating sometimes if the people that go up against you are your very own friends, family. But the point of the matter is what I like to encourage you to do. In the battle that we call life, in our pursuit, in our journey of faith with Jesus, you need to control your emotions. Don't be swayed to react immediately in the heat of the moment. David could have reacted, well, I'm appointed the next king of Israel. What are you talking about? I can do whatever I want. He could have said that. And yet David just said, well, I'm just asking questions. If you're provoked to react to something said against you, what do you do? Bear in mind, the battle is not against flesh and blood. So the person mocking you is not the one that you're up against. So guard your heart. Guard your emotions. Watch the reactions you have when people tell things negatively against you. The battle is not against flesh and blood. In our work doing the ministry of God, there will be some miscommunications, there will be confusion probably, misunderstandings. But don't let that distract you from the work ahead. David was in the same side as the army that Eliab was in. And yet they were fighting. Eliab was picking up a fight against his brother. Do not be defensive. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Control your emotions, number one. Next thing. When King Saul heard about this young David asking the army, who's this man? What shall we do? He was called to King Saul's presence. And he said, 
In verse 29, uh, verse 30, and he turned away from his another, him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again. But David said to Saul, verse 34, this is after Saul asked him, you cannot fight this man, you're too young, you're too small, you're not a soldier. Verse 34, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Now, mind, mind the language there. I mean, other translations said it in a different way, but I like the ESV version. What did, you, what did David say? Used to look after sheep. Used to. But at that time, David didn't see himself as a sheep keeper. He saw himself as somebody who will fight against this Goliath. Used to look after sheep, but now I'm going to fight this guy. A change of mentality, a change of attitude happened there. And when there came a lion, okay, you know lions with their pride. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. Now, I don't know whether you managed to do this yesterday. I tried to do it uh, earlier this morning, but I didn't manage to do it. No, not really. Grabbed him by the beard, stuck him and killed him. Now, your past experiences prepares you for the things that God wants you to do. Let me say it again. Your past experiences prepares you for the things that God wants you to do. Look back. What are the things that God enabled you to accomplish in the past? Use them to move forward and do God's work. The confidence of David was, was grounded upon his own personal experience. God prepares you even in the hard times. That's your preparation. Even if you were facing a lion, even if you're up against a bear, the odds are against you. But God uses that to prepare you to face your giants, your goliaths. What is it that God prepared you to do? What is it that God has enabled you to overcome? From sheep keeper to bear beater to lion slayer, now David sees himself as a giant killer. How do you see yourself? Tending sheep. There's no shame in that. Because God prepares you even whilst you're tending sheep. But there will, become, there will come a time when God will call you out to be a lion slayer, to be a giant killer. Prepare yourself. Use your experiences in God to move forward. Now, hesitantly, King Saul allowed him to, okay, whatever you want. Go ahead. Fight against this giant called Goliath. And what did he do? He put his armor on David. I don't know why, but David was a young lad, teenager, and Saul was a man who's head and shoulders above all the rest. So you could imagine what kind of armor he had. So can you, can you imagine my jacket and I give it to my daughter? Probably won't fit. The Bible says... Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. Verse 38. And David strapped his sword over his armor. 
and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. David said, Saul, I cannot go with these. I have not tested them. Do not put on other people's armor because they're not yours. In the kingdom of God, he appointed people to do different things. You may have a different set of armor to do one thing because that is how God prepared you. Do not try to put somebody else's armor to do your work. And don't try to assume that you can do somebody else's job. What I challenge you to do is realize that God has a plan for you and a purpose in his army, in his kingdom. God has a plan and a purpose for you. What you need to do is to ask God, Lord God, what is it that you want me to do? What that verse also tells me, do not let things pull you down and stop you from moving forward. What are the things that stop you? What are the things that slow you down? If you knew what God wanted you to do, are there things that prohibit you or limit you or restricts you from going ahead to doing that? In another verse in 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 4, Paul was admonishing his young protege, Timothy. He says, let's start with verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Okay? Who here are the soldiers of God? Okay, 10 of us. Who here are the soldiers of God? Amen. Says here, Share in suffering as a good soldier of God, of Jesus Christ. He knew, Paul knew, that as a soldier of Jesus, there will be some suffering. And he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I'm not saying you don't go to work, or if you're a student, you don't go to school. Just stay in church. And be holy and spiritual. Let's sing hallelujah. That's not what it means. What it means is do not let those things stop you from doing what God commanded you to do. As a good soldier, you obey the commander-in-chief. What is it that God is telling you to do? Have you got an idea what that is? And if so, are there things that stop you from doing them? If you are a good soldier, you need to wise up and say, Lord God, I cannot function this way. I don't want to put on King Saul's armor. These are things that slow me down. Allow me to take them off. Allow me to put them aside. Get rid of the things that slow you down. The fourth thing I'd like to show, show you is that you need to choose your weapons wisely. Now, David wasn't deluded when he said, I'll fight this giant. Okay? Let, let, let's make that point clear. He wasn't deceiving himself and saying, well, I can fight this giant. He knew where he stood. He knew the God who he serves. And he knew, as you would read from the preceding verses, he said, in verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. He knew 
that this is not something that God would like to carry on. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He was saying, well, I killed the lion, I killed the bear, but it was God who delivered him from the lion. It was God who delivered him from the bear. He had to do the work, but it was God that made it happen. Are you still with me? We need to put in the work, but God will make it happen. The people in Birkenhead will not know of the gospel unless we go out and tell them, but God will make it happen. The salvation of people that you are in the family with, that's our job, but God will make it happen. The people that deserve a release of God's blessing in their lives will not have that blessing unless we are the ones used by God as an instrument for that blessing to come, but God will make it happen. We need to do our part. As a soldier of God, we need to do our part. Now, this is an interesting thought. When I was reading this chapter, I realized we, we, we lift up David and say, oh, he's a giant killer. He killed Goliath using a sling. He knew that that's the only way he can fight this giant with a sling. And his experiences has proven that that will be the case. And his reliance on God will deliver him from this giant. He knew that and he managed to do so. God made it happen. But the nice thing in verse 52 and 53, this is what happened there. When the army of God, army of Israel, saw that the Goliath fell, what did they do? Did they just say, oh, nice, good job, well done? No. They knew that that was the moment that they can go up against the Philistine army. They did not stand still and let things happen before them. David knew that the battle still needed to be won. The personal battle between him and Goliath has been won. And yet, there's an army in front of them. And the only way to defeat them is not by his slingshot. He's only had five stones, bear in mind. Five stones against an army is not enough. He's given out one already. He only has four. But he knew he had an army behind him that will finish the job, that will do the part and finish the job. Who is it that is with you in doing God's work? Do you have an army of people supporting you? Do you have an army of people giving you a word of encouragement? Do you have an army of people giving you prayer protection when you do the, God, the word that God has given you? Now, it has to be that for the body of Christ to function well, that every part of the body should do its part. What's your part? I do not believe that God's latter-day church, end-time church, is only made up of super-Christians. There's no such thing. The end-time church is a body of believers doing their part to advance the kingdom. You are part of God's army. Do your part. Get rid of the armors that slow you down. Get rid of the things that restrict you from moving forward. Find people that will encourage you. Find people who have the same vision, the same desires you have. Run along with them. Because together you shall share 
the spoils. The breakthrough will happen. God will make it happen. If you do your part, God will do the rest. There's an army that God is raising up, and there's a battle to be won. David, I believe, is just a shadow of Jesus Christ. At that time, to kill a Goliath, they needed a David. I'm not a David. You're not a David. Don't wear his armor. But Jesus was the only one who could do what he did on the cross. Nobody else can do it. God made a way. Jesus Christ was the way. He called us in and, and called us out to be his army. As I close, I'd like you to remember three things. When you're going through a battle, when you're doing God's work, Pastor Greg mentioned that the front line is where the gospel needs to go. The front line is where a need needs to be met. That is the front line. And you will be the soldiers that will be on the front line, meeting the need, sharing the gospel. That's the front line. When you're faced with an intense battle, and there's opposition, there is no battle without opposition. There is no breakthrough without resistance. Breakthrough only happens when there's a resistance. Otherwise, it's just easy going, just coasting through. A breakthrough happens when you break the resistance and you break through. That's when the blessings come. Three things I'd like you to do. Know God's purpose. Prioritize God's purpose. Don't let the things of this world slow you down. Focus on the author and perfecter of our faith. Hear his command and follow it. Prioritize God's purpose. What is God's purpose in your life? How do you know? Ask God. Seek advice from people who hear from God because they may be used by God to tell you what you need to do. David found out through Samuel, you will be the next king of Israel. That was his purpose. What is God's purpose? Pursue that. This is God's work. You should honor him. This is God's command. You should follow him. First thing, prioritize God's purpose. Second thing, pursue God's plans. Throughout the Bible, God reveals to us wise words, clear instructions, how to do things and where to do things. Do things God's way in God's time. Some recent events made me realize doing the right thing the wrong way doesn't make it right. Let me say that again. You might be doing the right thing, but if you do it the wrong way, it doesn't make it right. There lies God's wisdom. You need to do the right thing the right way. If you want to honor God, you need to do the God thing God's way. How do you figure that out? Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Meditate on the Bible. Share thoughts and insights in transformed labs. That's where the labs come in. Nobody has an, a monopoly of God's wisdom. But together we could figure out what is God telling us to do. Let's decide and commit ourselves to doing that together. Spend time to know God's will. So prioritize God's purpose. Pursue God's plans. Going back to the purpose. 
If you're in the middle of a, of a problem, in the middle of some difficult times, if you know the purpose, you will carry on. Because what did God say? Let me just say in Hebrews 12, verse 2, for joy that was before him. This is referring to Jesus. He endured the cross. What is it that you would endure for, for the purpose that God has placed in your heart? If you knew why you're doing it, you know the why, you will carry on doing it no matter how difficult it may be. If you knew the why, why are you doing it? If you knew the reason why and what glory it will be revealed, you will continue to do it. So prioritize God's purpose, pursue God's plan. And lastly, proclaim God's promises. Stop moaning. Pastor Greg mentioned that last week. Stop whinging. It doesn't help anybody at all. But if you declare God's word in prayer, in thanksgiving, in praise, you are encouraging yourself and others. Proclaim God's promises. Let me leave you with what I believe is the best promise of all. He's already given Jesus Christ, so that's a promise fulfilled. But one promise that he said, he gave to Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's presence is the greatest promise that anybody can have. Hold on to that promise. Declare that in your prayer. Declare that in your praises. Declare that in times when you're struggling. How can I move on? God says, he will never leave me nor forsake me. Even in the struggle, even in the pains, even in the disappointments, even if people are against me, even if my own brother was saying bad things against me, even if people try with their own expectations to pull me down and pull me back, I will pursue, I will continue. Because God's plans in my life will be fulfilled. One thing I'd like to, sh to share before I close. Whilst we were praying in the in the crash, there was one thing that God wanted us to pray about. And I believe this is something that we need to be mindful of as well. Self-righteousness is not something that we should have. What that means is, in our own eyes, what is right, that is what we think we should be doing, self-righteous. Our righteousness is not based on what we do, or what we say, or what we think of ourselves. It is based or what Jesus has done. God looks at us, oh, he has the blood of my son. He's righteous before me. He's holy before me. Nothing is held up against them. But if we think that we're okay, when in fact, based on God's word, we're doing things wrong, we are deceiving ourselves. I, I pray and I encourage you, if that is something you're struggling with, ask God, Lord God, I don't want to rely on my own righteousness. That is where things really go wrong. I believe if I'm put right before you, things around me will be put right as well. Let us pray. Lord God, we believe that you are calling us out to be a people that will rise up and do your work. But Lord God, we recognize it is only by your goodness and by your grace that we stand. If there's any part in us that we think of ourselves as being self-righteous, in any way, Lord God, I pray, teach us 
to humble ourselves. Allow us, Lord God, to be set free from all these things. And let the righteousness of God be upon us. I pray, Lord God, as we rise up to be a people in God's army, that we will prioritize your purposes. What is it that you want us to do? Lord God, allow us to understand that. And may that be the focus in our minds. Not to be entangled with the affairs of this world, which are all temporary, but that our eyes be focused on things on heaven that will last for eternity. Teach us as well to, to pursue your plans, how you do things, how you want us to do things, Lord God, in accordance to your word. Guide us in wisdom. Allow us in your revelation to understand what you want us to do and how to do them. But Lord God, also I pray that we will proclaim through our prayers, through our praises, your promises, that our mouths will be encouragement for those around us, that we will not complain and whinge about things not happening the right way. But Lord God, in faith, we will declare your word. Let it be written, let it be done in accordance to your will. Lord God, we give thanks for your word. And we pray that we will continue to rise up to be the people you want us to be, to the glory of your name. Amen.